Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Profitability Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Pinar. Every week on this podcast, I have a conversation with a fascinating guest, whether they're an entrepreneur, artist, musician, author, poet, or artisan, to learn more about how they live a life that is uniquely profitable. Today's guest is Laura DiCarlo, founder and CEO of a sex tech startup, also called Laura DiCarlo. Laura tells the story of how the idea for her startup started with an orgasm, became an obsession, and how she was a reluctant founder before she inadvertently created an investor pitch deck without even realizing it. What is evident right from the start of our conversation is that words matter, and Laura is incredibly eloquent about how she describes not only the business or the products, but all of the research, context, contemplation, and consideration that has gone into building the business until now. We spoke about Laura's values, how that has shaped her startup's vision and mission, and about the things that they do to build the best team to continue pursuing their mission to create a sexually equitable world where all genders and sexualities are met with innovative and thoughtful tools to serve on their path to pleasure. Laura is a self-described adrenaline junkie and anatomy geek, two ingredients which made for a fast-paced and in-depth conversation that pulls no punches and has loads of vulnerability. I'm excited to jump into today's conversation with Laura DeCarlo. Hey, Laura, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so by way of introduction, I would love to kind of know, like you walk into a room of strangers today, how do you introduce yourself, right, firstly? And I'm very curious specifically about any labels that you use in that description, if any. Well, my name is Laura DiCarlo. I'm the founder of Laura DiCarlo. And so I own and run a sex tech company. And, you know, what's funny is that I always told myself when I left school, I don't ever really, you know, when I started this, I was like, I don't want to be the sex toy CEO. And here I am. Here you are, right? <laughs> but, so I'm, I'm curious, though, like, why that? Like, why not be the, you know, sex toy CEO, right? Why use founder of Lord Ricardo, which is a, a sex tech company? Like, what is it that kind of you associate with those labels that kind of creates that aversion to wanting to do that? Well, I think that there's there's a problem inherently with using the word toy, when you say sex toy. At Laura Carla, we actually make physiologically appropriate robotic solutions for sexual experiences. And we use data-driven solutions to create our design. So they're not toys. I mean, really, honestly, they're, they're tools. A lot of people just don't know nearly enough about their own physiology, about the things that they like, about the things that they don't like. And products like this help you to really kind of explore and discover your own body and the things that you do like and help you to feel a little bit more comfortable in the body that you've been given. No, and like one of the notes I had here, which I think you've just answered in a kind of a, in a very different way was because you label yourself as a anatomy geek, right? And in listening, you kind of you know, speak and, and use language like that. I actually wonder how much nuance and magic or just clarity we miss in the world in so many different contexts due to the language that we end up using, right? Because right. Going from toy, which is a very simple word, which is a word that most people understand, to what you just, just described, there's so much more color, you know, clarity, depth, all of those things to it, right? So 
question is like, was that part of your thinking as you started working on Laura de Carlo to specifically think about kind of words and how you're going to use them and what you were trying to say with those words? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, when I started the company, the idea that really spawned our forward movement was this need to eradicate the stigma and shame that is wrapped around sexuality, identity, and masturbation, particularly. And I've never really had an issue with uh, my sexuality, or at least I thought I didn't. That's actually funny because I just realized, yeah, I kind of did. You know, I didn't really embrace the fact, like really embrace the fact that I was bisexual until after I started this company. I've dated men, I've dated women, I've dated couples, but I didn't really actually come to terms with the fact that I was like, oh, I'm bisexual. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a title that I wanted to really share or even share with myself, I suppose. And um, I find that going through kind of the sexual exploration helps people to understand like who they really are. As a matter of fact, we believe that sexuality and sexual masturbation and self-exploration is very closely tied to identity. And when you're comfortable in your identity, that allows you to feel more confident in the way that you arrive and the way you show up in the world. And if you feel more confident in the way that you show up in the world, that allows you to go out and do really great things. So the, the mission behind everything is to allow people to feel more comfortable with their sexuality, their identity, and their preferences and their pleasure in order to be able to feel more confident to go out and change the world a little bit, each in their own way. You know what, I think such a lovely way of stating it, like I often think about us as unique individuals and how it's critically important for all of us to kind of manifest our kind of, you know, our truest expression of ourselves, like truly that unique magic that we can put out in the world. And, and I agree, I, like if we can't illuminate those parts of ourselves that truly make us who we are, then it's impossible that we're going to truly kind of, you know, create change or create impact or just create something of meaning in kind of our lives, right? Um, so I love the way you you, you explained there. So I, I want to take one step back because this conversation um, it seems like we jumped into the deep end there. Um, <laughs> That's like, what I do. We jump which, in with both feet. <laughs> exactly right. So, and then we play golf afterwards. So for, for <laughs> listeners, like that's a little troll. Before we start recording, Laura explained kind of how she loves adrenaline sports and golf, which was just this very kind of, you know, a, kind of yeah, all over I, the spectrum. I have an addiction to kiteboarding. And then I'm like, and I also like pickleball and golf. <laughs> He's like, that makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Well, so deep end, but I want to pull this back slightly, right? So you speak about kind of that kind of discovery that it sounds like there was part of this is also a discovery kind of, you know, of yourself and the journey that you kind of took, right? And I would love for you to kind of take us through the process of what happened just before, you know, Laura DeCaro as a, you know, as a company, when you kind of decided that this is something that you want to pursue next, like, where were you at, like, in life? What was the overarching feeling? What was the impetus? Like, oh why God. this thing? <laughs> Tell me you know this story, because this will be fun if you don't. Okay. I, I not. <laughs> It all started with an orgasm one day when I was about 28 years old. I had this mind-bending, full-body orgasm that was actually achieved by stimulating the glands clitoris, the little, the man in the boat, the little guy on the outside, and the G-spot or the, C, more appropriately, the whole CUV zone, the clitorourethral vaginal complex, and using manual stimulation. So yeah, basically using that come hither motion that you use with your fingers over the top of that fabled G-spot, which is actually the urethral sponge 
which is a bit of erectile tissue that is on the inside anterior portion of the vaginal canal. And so you stimulate both of those spots at the same time. What you end up doing is you're actually stimulating the whole clitoris. And the whole clitoris is actually about the same size as if you put up like peace fingers. Uh, It's about four inches in length and reaches around the vaginal canal. And it's not just that little tiny bit you see on the outside. It's much more complex and it's packed full of nerve endings. So I had this orgasm and it's so intense that I end up having something akin to a seizure right off the side of the bed. I'm shaking right off the side of the bed and I hit the floor and I'm laying on the, on this cold tile floor with one leg still hitched up on the bed, just nearly drooling, staring at the ceiling. And all I can think is, how do I do that again? And I'm with a partner and I'll like think, okay, how do I do it again by myself? Because geez, that was powerful. I want to be able to do that by myself. And that's when the obsession began. And I actually started looking into the physiology of erogenous zones and orgasms. And I discovered some really interesting things. One, there was almost no information to be had in medical texts, in medical journals. Very little research had been done. And secondly, I was looking for a product that would actually help me recreate this experience. That also did not exist because I was looking for something that fit me, that could be customizable so that it could be hands-free, and also something that was that emulated human motion, that felt like a human partner. So you could actually get that like kind of realistic experience. Couldn't find any of that. So I'm also looking for this data. This data doesn't exist, but I need the data because... Like I said, I'm obsessed and I'm, I'm looking for a way to recreate this experience. If you want to do that, you need data. So I do the next best thing. I start asking people about their personal identifying data. Like, where is your clitoris in relation to your vaginal canal? Can you measure that for me? And people are looking at me like, you know, like I'm crazy. I've got two heads. And that's, you know, partially true. But they want to know. The interesting thing is I realize with every person that I ask, at first they're extremely ashamed and they're embarrassed. And then they're really curious because nobody ever talks like this. And there's something kind of just really interesting about getting the opportunity to talk about sexuality and it not feeling shameful. And then the second thing I realized about everyone is that they don't know nearly enough about their own anatomy and about their own pleasure. A lot of these people had found it really hard to pinpoint exactly where those pleasure points were. And I had to actually put together materials in order to teach people how to find these spots and measure them appropriately. And the last thing that I realized about every single person they all had the same problem. Every single one of them was like, oh my gosh, what are you trying to, why are you doing this? And I told them, well, it's because I want to recreate this really crazy orgasm experience that I had. And every single one of them was like, oh my gosh, when can I have it? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. I don't, I'm not even sure what I'm going to do with this yet. It was still very early on, but fast forward, I ended up founding the company within about a year and a half, two years after that, partnering with Oregon State University, who happens to be the top robotics graduate program in the U.S., and they have an amazing engineering, a college of engineering, and we kicked off an industry-funded research program with them, and within about eight or nine months, we had our first prototype and five patents filed that we were waiting on patents pending for, and 
that is when you probably heard about us because we took those prototypes and we took those patents and we applied for a Consumer Electronics Show Innovation Award. And that's when we got it. Then a month later, they took it away. Yeah. And yes, you're, you're right, by the way, that, that is the first time that I kind of noticed what you were doing. Like that's when the, the news finally released mm -hmm. Africa. And I want to get into that. One step back there, Laura, I, I, I'm curious, like that kind of time in between from, say, that personal obsession and many other people might you know, call it kind of passion, right? You know, often people start projects or businesses due to some kind of passion, due to some kind of hobby, right? But then there's some kind of catalyst that turns that into, hey, I want to for almost formalize, for lack of a better word, um, I want to operationalize this thing that is just me, this is my obsession, this is my passion, into something that is probably bigger than me, something that's more meaningful, something that has more impact. Like, what were those kind of you know, things for you? Like, what switch, if there is any, or multiple switch, switches flicked kind of there in that intervening time? There was a couple of stages. I think, like I said, I, I asked... I think from the very, very beginning all the way to the very end, close to 200 people for their physiological data. And like I said, every single one of them responded in a very similar fashion. First, it was embarrassment, shame, and then curiosity. Then secondly, they didn't know nearly enough about their own personal data. There was a very a great lack of education around their own bodies. And then the last thing was that everybody had the same problem. And I knew next to nothing about business or starting a business or being an entrepreneur, but I definitely recognized that there was a problem that many other people had. And, you know, I was also talking about this with the women that I dated and realized they had a similar experience and I could recreate that experience that I had. It wasn't just me. I wasn't, it wasn't some kind of fluke. And that's when I realized there was a problem that needed to be solved and I had the solution. And I didn't really, like I said, I didn't know, know anything about entrepreneurship or starting a business or anything about starting a company. So one evening I was on a full rant about the lack of technology and physiological representation in these products. And the people that I was talking to also happened to be cashed out entrepreneurs and investors. And that's when they kind of looked at me like, again, like I had two heads and I was like, what? And they were like, it sounds like you have a great idea for a company. I was like, I'm, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't, I don't even know how to start a company. I wouldn't know where to start. And then they said, no, it sounds like you have an idea for an invention. And then I laughed at them and I went, I am not an inventor. But if I was, this is how I would do it. And I explained to them how I would solve this problem using technology and robotics. And they got really excited and said, if you do that, then we will help you find seed funding and get you like, we'll, we'll mentor you, get this off the ground. And that terrified me. The idea of doing something completely unknown with unknown consequences and an unknown outcome scared the crap out of me. So I sat on this idea for nearly six months and just played with it, tinkered with the idea and didn't do anything. So one day they were hassling me again, like, hey, just show us your pitch deck. And I was like, I don't know what a pitch deck is. And they're like, just show us how it works. And so I take this whiteboard and I start drawing through what the product could look like, how anatomy differentiates from person to person. And then why something like this, something as, as innocuous as a well-designed tool for sexual exploration could change 
the conversation and move the needle forward around the conversation within sexuality, identity, and help to remove the shame and stigma that's wrapped around masturbation. And then they, they kind of looked at me funny and I was like, what? And they were like, that's a pitch deck. And I was like, well, crap, I guess we're starting a company. And I founded the company two weeks later. And through a couple of very fortunate series of events, I ended up sitting at the same table with Dr. John Parmigiani, the head of the MIME lab at Oregon State University for the College of Engineering. And we kicked off the project. And it's been a very tumultuous and crazy and terrifying journey and lots of self-discovery on so many other wavelengths. But at the same time, it's also been one of the most affirming journeys ever because every single person I talk to, sexuality touches every person in some way or another. And it can either inform and affect you in a very bad way. Or it can inform and affect you in a very, very good way that allows you to become stronger and allows you to become more at peace with who you are and your own identity. And that's what breeds amazing confidence. I mean, it, it literally caused me to, to start a company. Yeah. And like as I listen to you, I wonder whether as you explain the impact that your kind of products and the business has on other people, right, at this stage, it sounds like there is great compassion you know, some care, really some kind of thought that goes into, hey, this is the impact that I can have for others. I, I, I wonder whether that's been a recurring kind of you know, theme for you, you know, when you were younger in your past, like where there were other things that you would say, like, these are kind of, these are values, like these are things that, like how I would describe myself as Lord Carter, like I think about kind of other people, like, were there any of those other things you think were almost kind of preludes to eventually doing this thing? Absolutely. I think my, I'll be entirely honest, because I think I've been kind of trying to come to terms with this lately. I feel like, you know, I've done a lot of things with my life, but I feel also at the same time, like it was just a series, a big long string of failures. Like, you know, I, I uh, acquired a full ride scholarship as a Navy midshipman to become an officer, a nurse officer. And I ended up leaving to go home and take care of my mom. And I look at that as being a really big failure. And even though like I learned a lot, I became, you know, a stronger person for it. And then, you know, after that, I, I ended up going, moving to Portland after my mom got better. And I ended up going to school and just going to night school, taking a, a pre-med track at a community college that had been set before me by Portland State. And I wanted to become a doctor and, and I ended up leaving that as well. But it ended up, all of it ended up directing me, pointing me in this direction. And I ended up here at the end of the day. And throughout all of my experiences, a lot of interesting things have happened. Namely, like I've, I've definitely developed a set of values, which are respect, empowerment, and integrity. And we operate the company based on those values. And I think one of the things that I personally have kind of had to come to terms with over the years is that the concept of, of enoughness, being enough, and particularly as women or people with vaginas, I think we are often faced with this ultimatum or this perceived ultimatum that we have to be somehow better than we already are in order to be taken seriously in a world that is mostly run by men. And it's not that, you know, there's a anything bad about men being in this world. It's just that it has previously been a very patriarchal one. And in order to get any kind of recognition or commendation or be able to climb the ladder in this world, we've had to be 
better than we are, or we feel like we have to. So I've actually had to come to terms with that over the years. And I feel like there's a huge crossover there within sex as well. You hear a lot about people faking orgasms all the time. Somehow we have to be better at something than we actually are. We have to pretend to like things that we don't really like. We have to, in order to put on a show, in order to put on a facade, to make other people feel better. Because women's lives for so long have been meant to be in service of others. And now I find myself in a place where I just want to feel like I'm enough the way that I am. And I think a lot of people can identify with that. And so if you're listening and you feel like on a day-to-day basis, no matter if it's sexually or if it's uh, in a, you know, in your work or your career or your family or your relationship that you're not enough, I have a really awesome revelation for you. You are enough. And the way that you show up every day is it is enough and it's, you are good enough and everything that you do you put in so much hard work and that is enough. You don't need to be something that you're not in order to get by in this world. Yeah. And I mean, you said it more eloquently than I can ever say it. I think in 2020 and, and beyond and for the foreseeable future, right, we're, we live in a society worldwide that unfortunately measures human beings and, you know, asks us to conform because that's how they can build efficient systems, right? When people yeah. conform, when there are fewer outliers, etc., then they can govern us, right? And I think the trick to your point is to go back to the point where I think as as babies, when we we're born, we're enough, right? And mm-hmm. the, the only true kind of, you know, and I'm no kind of philosopher, right? But I think the kind of the only true thing that we can really do is constantly seek this this notion of, what is the meaning of life? And I, I think part of that answer is to continue down this journey of just firstly being enough, feeling enough, and then just being myself in mm-hmm. this world, right? Showing up my, my, as my best self in the best way that I can every single, you know, single day over and over again. Absolutely. So, so I'm wondering, like, on that, are there any, like, specific things? Because, you know, you and I can say these things and I think the, firstly they resonate, right? And for many others, they will sound very airy fairy, and like that kind of logical side of the brain will kick in and they'll say, "Hey, you know, Eddie and Laura can say these things, but let's face it, end of the month, like I can't pay my mortgage or how do you, you know, operationalize kind of this? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'm wondering, like, are there any kind of you know habits, rituals, kind of you know disciplines that you have in your life that kind of you know reaffirms that notion that first thing you are enough and that your kind of the key goal for every single day is showing up as Lord Ricardo in the best way you can? Yeah, I think that's that's such a difficult question because I feel like I deal with imposter syndrome on a daily basis. Uh, I deal with anxiety. I deal with ADHD. I deal with PTSD and depression. I think a lot of people do, and I think we're also afraid to talk about those things. But until we're able to talk about those things, you can't deal with them. So I'm going through that journey as well. And it's just having the ability to admit to yourself that just because you feel a certain way or because you are experiencing a certain thing or, you know, sadness is a, is a great example that we, we constantly stigmatize sadness. There's nothing wrong with sadness. And unless you actually embrace that and try to understand it, you're never going to be able to, to figure it out or, or overcome it. So I think stop stigmatizing the way that you feel and the way that you are and who you really are and embrace that and love that person because that person is enough. So as far as actual like tips and tricks go, 
you know, I'm, I'm always trying to kind of swim my way through like, what is, what's the next best thing? What's the next best trick that I can, the life hack. And I always come back to, I have to, have to absolutely have to exercise every single morning. If I don't, my entire day is shot, even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes. And I've often tricked myself into thinking, if you don't work out for an hour in the morning, you're not that great. Or you're not, you know, that that's not what you were supposed to do, or you were supposed to do this. And you know what? Shut up. If you get in there and you can only work out for 10 minutes, that's great. Like do the thing that makes you feel at peace. If it's meditation, if it's yoga, the first things I do in the morning, I have a morning ritual. I work out. If I can only work out for 10 minutes, I work out for 10 minutes. I start a pot of tea and I drink about 20 ounces of water and I make sure that I stay hydrated all day long. And the next thing I do is I make sure I go through all of my emails, make sure that I am ready for the day. And then I get ambushed. <laughs> but I'm ready for it. Yeah, totally right. And I think that's kind of what resonates with Aurora is, um, I think, for, you know, in many of the, I wouldn't even say successful, for content, peaceful, productive, you know, individual, they have some kind of ritual that they or routine that they want to follow and there are these kind of signposts throughout their day that's kind of where they are doing things that just kind of brings them back to kind of brings the awareness into the now might be sound yeah. a little esoteric there right but but it just grounds so when we're ambushed then the whole world is shaking around us and this pops up and that customer is unhappy whatever the case is but those things that we do every single day almost without thinking are the things that you know kind of brings us back and make, helps us make sense yeah. of that calm well i think the other so, thing too is to make sure that you're not beating yourself up for like like say that you you tell yourself i'm going to get up at 6:30 every single morning and you don't get up at 6.30 every morning. Let's say you get up at, at 6.45 or 7.10 or or let's say that you tell yourself you're going to exercise every single morning or uh, for 45 minutes or you're going to meditate for half an hour uh, or you're going to do yoga for half an hour. If you don't do it, don't beat yourself up. Today is, uh, it's a brand new day. It's another chance to excel. Get it done even for a few minutes. You know, if you got up earlier than you have been in the past, Congratulate yourself for that. Don't beat yourself up anymore. And keep reinforcing those good habits by by giving yourself a pat on the back every now and then. I think we're really hard on ourselves. I know I am. And it's uh it's an effort to just be nice to myself sometimes. Yeah. And I think like you know, people that you know make things entrepreneurs especially, right? Like we always skip over the good parts of our life because there's always a new challenge <laughs> and a new opportunity, right? And we never stand right. still and just say, you know what, this was maybe a small win today. Savor and it does not it. solve these other 10 things. Exactly, right? Yeah. We need to celebrate that progress. Totally. So I am so guilty of that. We just signed, I can't tell you the details, but we just signed this huge contract and it is like it is life altering for us and we'll be announcing it later uh and i think towards the end of november what this is but i can't talk about it yet I'm super excited and we finally finished it we finally signed everything and i'm just like i'm like okay the next thing you're totally right because i have not sat down and just savored the fact that this amazing thing just happened and it's about to kick off i'm just already concentrating on the next thing so take a minute breathe and enjoy your successes. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, like, I think in terms of scheduling, by the way, Laura, this episode should be going live then just about kind of a week or so before your big announcement. Oh so hopefully you re-listen to this conversation and it's a reminder that you should totally celebrate that at that, that stage. That will be right? insane. Co 
Congratulations, by the way. It sounds it sounds amazing. And to all the listeners, I wish I had the inside scoop here. So, but you oh should see God. Laura's face. She she's super excited about this. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. <laughs> so, I want to come back to kind of the, the company, Laura. Right. So, you've described your your personal values, and you've mentioned that kind of you run the business with those values in mind, right? The question I have for you here is like, how do you make sure kind of on a day to day, week to week, month to month basis that those values actually kind of the, the values and the mission, right, stays you know front and center of what you're doing, right? So in every single decision, if that's the case, like, how do you make sure that you're still in alignment, you know, with those things? And what do you do when you realize, hey, like we've missed a few things here. We've strayed too far away from our core. First and foremost is lay that groundwork the second you start your company. I see a lot of startups and entrepreneurs just like, I have this great idea. I'm going to go start a company. And they forget about the values. They forget about the scaffolding, the foundation, the mission, and the vision. That was the very first thing that we did. And the vision of this company is ultimately, we want to be a thought leader and a primary driver in a sexually equitable world where individuality is celebrated and sexual exploration is praised. And the way that we do that, our vision, our mission statement is just to provide products and services that empower all humans to boldly embrace their sexuality through self-exploration and education. So what we did is sat down and we defined all of these things. We defined our values, respect, empowerment, and integrity. We defined our mission statement. We defined that vision statement. We defined a, a social purpose, which is empowering people of all genders to explore and educate, love, and accept themselves and others. And that provides them with the confidence to create a more equitable world. So we did all these things. We created all of this scaffolding, all of this, this foundational work, and then we took it a step further and we decided that we were going to do every six months in June and December, we were going to do employee checkpoints and check in with everyone and that we were going to do professional development plans every six months and sit down with every single employee and say, how have we served these values? What have you done to serve these values? You know, how can we be better? We, we do a, an anonymous survey with every single one of our employees and ask them, how can we be better? What did we do wrong? What did we do right? Are your supervisors emulating our values? Do you feel like your, our values are important to you? And so we, we basically take the temperature of the whole company and say, how can we be better? And where are we hitting the nail on the head? And then we look at everything and we go, okay, here's room for improvement. And this is what we are going to do tangibly over the next six months in order to create those improvements. And that is absolutely essential if you want to grow fast, because I guarantee you, if you start a company and you start to grow fast and you don't have these things in place, your culture is going to go to shit. And for most startups and entrepreneurs, it is and will probably always be the hardest thing I have ever done. And there are a lot of people that there's definitely the startup type, too. There's the employee that knows what it's like to work in a startup and they're good with it. Or there's the type of person that's never done it and they never will. And it's just not for them. Um, it's the only time I've ever worked in a space where there is definitely a type of human being that thrives in this environment because it's a chaotic environment. So that's how we make sure that we, that we stand by those values. We actually 
we write it down, we put it to paper and uh, we hold ourselves accountable. And if we fuck up, we fuck up and we make sure that we, we turn that around and say, okay, how can we fix this to the best of our ability? Still be kind to ourselves and allow that we will make mistakes when we will, we've made plenty of mistakes, but how do we continually be better? Yeah, because I mean, like value, especially if you kind of um, simplify it to singular words, right? Like it, it lacks defined kind of context. And like, I think it's impossible, like you mentioned scaffolding, which is a word I love there, right? Which is like, you're putting as, as much of the structure in place without really knowing exactly what that wall is going to look like or where the window is going to be once you need to build it, right? Yep. But to your point, like if you're, if there are those continuous checkpoints, like you can figure that out and you can you know, bring that back to kind of that value. So you mentioned people there at the kind of very end in terms of kind of describing how you use values within the business lawyer. I'm curious, like, how do you build a team, right? And how do you select the right people to join your team? It's difficult. We go out way beyond this town. We live in a small town in the Pacific Northwest in the U.S., in Oregon, in Bend, Oregon. But we... We go out all over the world and we go out all over the U.S. when we put out job descriptions. And we also go internally, too. So and we have people that live abroad. We actually have a team that lives in Barcelona. We have teams that live all over the U.S. And I think the biggest thing that we're, our concern is, is, yes, finding a culture fit is incredibly important, especially when culture, you don't get to decide what your culture is. Your culture is its, its own living, breathing beast, if you will. All you can do is try to inform culture. So when we go out and we actually start interviewing, we talk a lot about those values. We talk about that fit, especially like when the content is something as potent as sexuality, you have to really make sure that your new hires and that the people that you're interviewing are really aligned with those values and uh, with the company itself. Not everybody is going to be in the, in the headspace where they are comfortable with this kind of content, but that's something that we aim to change. And you know, really making sure that there is a good skill fit, a good experience fit, and that there's potential for growth in each of these individuals is absolutely necessary. And, and sometimes you're going to make mistakes and you're going to hire bad fits or you're going to hire folks that, you know, didn't have the skill sets or didn't have the experience that is the most appropriate for the job. And you can either, there's a lot of the time there's a opportunity for improvement and uh, career growth in these individuals. And sometimes it's just, it's not a good fit. And you have to be okay with that, especially as an entrepreneur. You cannot win them all. Yeah, totally. And I wonder, as you say that, Laura, how, like, when we speak of cultural fit, right, and when we hire people based on kind of cultural fit, like, how do you balance that with building diverse teams, right? And, and ensuring that kind of cultural fit does not equal kind of building, you know, a monotonous yeah. kind of echo, echo chamber of sorts? Well, I think that's the, the, the thing that's kind of neat about having a culture that is rooted in inclusivity as much as humanly possible, because that's, that's what we aim our products and, and our ethos is, I want to say, economically or, or business-wise inclusive as possible. You And when you're talking about something as, as broad as sexuality, guess what? Every human on the planet is sexual in some way or another, even those that are, are asexual, that is choosing to not be sexual or just not having you know, it, it's still sexual in some way or another. That is every single kind of human on the planet. So it's actually because sexuality affects all kinds of people, you end up 
talking to people that are from all kinds of different demographics. You know, so we have a very varied team, actually. Um, you know, as far as like age and particularly as far as age and sexual orientation and preference goes, um, we're very varied and kind of people from all kinds of walks of life. And I think like you have to be very cognizant of that as well. You know, understanding that, yes, you know, we're a sex tech company and there's a lot of women on the team and a lot of people that identify as queer, trans, bisexual, but also understanding that guess what? Cis white men are also sexual creatures as well and everything in between. So understanding the importance of those those opinions, those lived experiences from all walks of life is really key to creating that team for us. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that I just, you sometimes have those realizations where it's like, well, obviously this is like, this was always true. But like, I think when we think, mostly think about diversity, we often think about firstly gender, right? And secondly, kind of, you know, race or ethnicity, right? Mm -hmm. And if we get other things like, you know, kind of literally like, how did someone grow up, right? What is their sexual preference today? All of those things kind of shapes their identity and that unique self that they're bringing into that team and encouraging all of that yeah. Uh, uniqueness is what brings that diversity, right? I, I think we forget all the nuanced things that create inclusivity, that kind of intersectional inclusivity that includes everything from, you know, all walks of life, different kinds of education, ability, adeptness, you know, gender, sexuality, financial and socioeconomic status. And that is something that I am personally very cognizant of. Just having, you know, when you have your own lived experience, like, yes, now I'm run a company that is very quickly growing and we're doing well. But I started out from very, very poor means, actually. Like my mom and my brother and I were not well off. We were oftentimes we I was just laughing about this the other day. We had to make sure that the thermostat in the house never went above a certain degree because we couldn't afford the power bill. So being really cognizant that there are different kinds of experiences from all different kinds of walks of life and every single one of those is valuable is really important. Yeah. Totally. Thanks for that kind of vulnerability. I think, you know, many successful people neglect to share the harder parts of their life, especially they're kind of in, you know, if that's kind of relates to their kind of childhood, right? So thanks for sharing that. <laughs> I want to wrap up here, Laura. And um, the question I have for you, because you're obviously not going to tell us what the deal is that you're announcing. So like, I, I'll end up with a, another question, right? Is I'm really curious, like, what is next for you? Right, as an individual, what's next for the company? And like in thinking kind of through what those next steps are, like, do you ever think about kind of legacy in any way? Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the aim for this is I would love to see this grow into a bit of an empire, I suppose you will. But we are looking to branch out into broader spectrums of sexual health and wellness and health and wellness uh, period. And how do we bridge the gap between just wellness period and pleasure? And we're looking at creating lines right now that do just that. So like I said earlier, like the vision is truly rooted in creating a sexually equitable world where that individuality is celebrated and sexual exploration is praised and 
that's my goal is to move the needle and move the conversation in that into that space. Like we want to be in a mainstream space and that is, that is our goal because that's where sexuality belongs. Everybody does it. It's part of our human nature and we should be able to talk about it and we should be able to deliver appropriate education to our, our younger folks and to folks of all generations because it's not going away. <laughs> it's just a part of, it's a part of our lives. So um, I want to be able to embrace that. That's awesome, Laura. And I think, um, you know, as a, as a neutral kind of outside observer here, I think in a kind of short space amount, you know, short amount of time, young company, you've done an incredible amount already to make progress towards that very lofty vision and mission. So, Laura, thank you so much for, for joining me here today. If anyone you know, didn't know about Laura DiCaro beforehand, um, where do you want to direct them to learn more, hopefully buy some products for whether it's partners or friends or themselves? Where should they be going? Uh, you should definitely go to lauradicarlo.com. That's L-O-R-A-D-I-C-A-R-L-O.com. And you can also find us on social media. I'm just, the company is at lauradicarlo underscore HQ. And I'm at laura, L-O-R-A underscore DiCarlo, D-I-C-A-R-L-O. Awesome stuff. For people that are lazy and they want to memorize things, we'll get that linked up and they can just <laughs> click a button and check out what you are doing. Laura, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Adi. That's it for me for today's episode. If anything in today's conversation really resonated with you, please do send me an email on ad at lifeprofitability.com. That's ad at lifeprofitability.com. You can also leave a review on iTunes, which helps me to improve the show and perhaps also helps me to reach someone else that needs to hear this or might find this helpful. I'll be back here with another great guest next week. Cheers.